0: was poppin'? tuning in this time from Lake Atalan, Guatemala, the beautiful, lush Lake Atalan, and I just finished listening to an inspiring conversation with two men that I feel very honored to know, be associated with, and have their influence on my life, and um, super proud of the platform and community that we've been able to create here at Circle Up, where I feel there's an opportunity to educate um, and create a platform where um, men from every background and every age and every demographic and every psychographic can share their experience. And this is a, a particularly a unique episode where um, when Circle Up started, we had a bunch of teams that kicked off, and one of the leaders that really helped. Grow Circle Up from the very beginning with Steve Anderson. And Steve Anderson has been a man on my men's team for many years. He is a, a leader in my life. He is a mentor for me. He is a friend for me. And um, he, he participated in that very first Circle Up we did. And he showed up really powerfully. And the men got huge value from his experience. He's a he's a leader. Um, decades of leadership. He won a Olympic gold medal as the coach for the Canadian women's beach volleyball team. And there was an opportunity where there were a few men, um, including Steve Anderson, who thought, how great would it be if we had a men's team for black men? And I couldn't have been more happy to support it. And the men of Circle Up couldn't have been more excited to back them and encourage them and say, hey, you guys, um, if creating a space where you can come together as black men to talk about your unique experience um, power to you! Um, you know we're gonna be here to support you, and they did that. And so he came together with uh, a bunch of other really strong men to create the first ever Black Circle Up team. They called it Black Diamond Circle Up team, and the person he does this interview with is Mr. Dotson, and uh, Dotson is, is, a, is a family man, he's a business owner, and just like a total powerhouse of a leader where when you're in his presence, you know it, you feel it, uh, you wanna step up in your life, you want, you're inspired and encouraged to do more and to be more, and so these two men came together to create a very unique episode of the Circle Up podcast where they talked about their experience growing the Black Diamond Circle Up team, what it's like to be a black man in Black man in America and in Canada, um, in business, in competitive sports, and, uh, and in culture in general. So I am honored and privileged to be able to share their voice, their message, and their leadership with you on this episode. Of the Circle Up Podcast. Please enjoy this conversation with the leaders of the Black Batman Circle Up team, Dotson and Anderson.
1: So Anderson, you're in beautiful Blue Mountain right now. Yes, sir. Uh, with Here your family. Are. After having, you know, sold your house for top dollar. And uh, <laughs> a major transition, right? Uh, you know, it, it, you know. A lot of people probably wish they were in your shoes, being able to even sell a home, having a home for one. Blessed, my brother, blessed. And then being able to sell one. And uh, I'm down here uh, in Niagara Falls. My wife and I, we bought a trailer um, about a month and a half ago or two months ago or something like that. And uh, something, she's kind of gotten infatuated with this idea of tiny houses over like the last year and a
2: half. (laughs) Nice.
1: You're going to be damn man. I, you know, so <laughs> I, I try to help her, like, make sense. Like, hey, babe, this is not a real reality for us. But now we get the opportunity to test it, you know? Right. So, you know, I just, I, I'm in the car right now, speaking to you, because every, everybody's in the house, you know, the, the trailer, like, barely, <laughs> awesome. barely asleep, you know? Yeah, and, I hear you. Um, so here I am, man, out here uh, doing some work at the same time. So after after the next call that I have, I'm going to be I'm launching our company next week or our app next week, Wednesday. And so I have a lot of stuff to get done today. But uh, wanted to have this call with you early this morning, obviously, to support Andrews and what he's doing with Circle Up, because we're part right. of that as well. You know, we're together on a, on a team called the Black Diamond Circle. You know, the men that were there, they're all out of the United States. They're all Black men. And one thing I can definitely say about this group is that I knew, you know, doing this work that we're doing with Sterling helped me to understand that I needed men, right? But I did not know how much I needed Black men being a Black man. And so for me, this group has been instrumental in helping me to... Continue to be okay, and I use the word continue intentionally, but continue to be okay with my blackness. And the reason why I say continue is because being in a world, especially the corporate world, where you know a lot of a lot of my identity or our identity as men is really kind of tied up in what we do and how successful and, and how successful are we at what we do. Um, You know, it's tied up in, you know, at work. And typically the jobs that we get when you look at the corporate leadership uh, is is typically white men um, in power. And I'm not saying that this, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But what I want to point out is that when you have people who are in power or who make decisions who don't look like you, they make decisions from their lens, from their upbringing, from, from their thought process and and, and naturally, you know, in groups, just like in high school, there are different groups and cliques that start to form based off of, you know, preferences and, and lifestyle and et cetera. And I found that, you know, being in, being in this space has meant that I have the opportunity to not choose to be black. I have to, you know, where I feel like I have to choose to behave or talk a certain way amongst black right. people. We call it code switching. Right, I have to code switch to fit in. I have to use, you know, I have to my diction or the way I I say words have to be, you know, instead of slurring it because I'm from the south, you know, instead of drawing it out, (laughs) I may may have
2: to enunciate. Yeah, enunciate.
1: Yeah, a little bit more, you know. Right. And um, but again, just being a part of this black circle, um, seeing that other men are in the same position in some ways that I am, has been comforting and encouraging and has continued to elevate me and say, hey, you know what, man, continue to choose your blackness, continue to choose your dreads, you know, continue to choose, you know, how you speak, continue to choose, you know, your earring when you wear your earring, continue to choose your swag. Because the reality is, is that culturally, when you look out, when you look at the music, when you look at the commercials, when you look at the movies, it all adopts from us you know, it's almost like it's taking us and it's putting you on display and people are profiting from us. Right, And it's like the people that are profiting are the men who I just discussed, right? The white men who are at the top who are running these companies and things like that. But then in some ways it's like, we'll profit off your blackness, but when it comes to your blackness, we're not gonna accept it at the core. Right. And my sister says something like this. She's like, everybody wants to be black, until it's time
2: to be black. And then it's yeah. real. <laughs> Nobody wants to be black tough. when the police shows up or uh, you know when when the job cut shows up, you know they start selecting, yeah, looking for the pr- promotion. Yeah, I hear you brother. I hear you. You know it's it, uh, the black diamond circle same for me. same for me. I didn't know how much I needed uh, a group of, of intentional, conscious black men. And it, it was interesting when the Black Diamond Circle formed, um, I had this other vision of maybe who the men were, maybe shows my own bias and why we sure. all came together. And, and sometimes doing this work, it attracts men who are having problems, you know, they need, need uh, some help. And so men, men bring men into this work to, to help them out of their situation. And so I had this vision in my head, somehow this was a group of men who were having some issues like overt issues. And what it ended up being was this group of men, most of us, input the only Black men at the level that we are in business, whether, you know, own our own businesses or, or being in corporate. And this, so for me, this is like a Black, a, a, a Black, this is business. This is about Black men in business in North America, specifically. Because there are places that you know one of our members comes from a place where he grew up and most people are black and he he has a completely different experience, which I find fascinating than the North American experience as a black man, where it's this anomaly. Like we show up at this level of, you know this executive level, this level of leadership, and you look around and you don't see any other black men or black women. it's just it's you. And it creates this dilemma for me. It's created a dilemma where I look around and I'm like, okay exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Am I being scrutinized here? Um, you know, what, what is it about me and my Blackness that is threatening? Because something's threatening here. I can't figure out why. I don't see myself as a threatening person. I see other people who might act in a similar way, but they're not treated similar in a similar way. And, you know, so it makes me, I think this is, this is uh, uniquely a North American thing it may be in Europe as well, other, other mm-hmm. predominantly white you know, societies where Black people are. So I think this is a, a good subject, man, for us to talk about what it's like to be Black, a Black man in America, a Black man in business in America, um, how it's impacted us, how it's impacted our relationships. Um, oh, yeah. You know, because it's, it, it, there's a direct impact and there's, a, there's an indirect impact. But the thing that fascinates mm-hmm. me is this group of men and wow, man, I don't, I don't have this anywhere else on earth, man, where I can yeah. be with men who have my back, who want to see me succeed, who I wanna see succeed. There's, there's, the comp, there's no competition, there's no jealousy. There's none of that stuff that I even use as tools in the, in the competition with men. In in a competitive environment. Yeah. But in this space, and this is this is due to you know, the work we've done with, with Sterling, but it's unique to this space that's been created in this circle up program. And I got a lot of criticism starting out that this was this black team, you know, like, oh, what makes this team special? And it was kind of isolated a little bit because no one knew what to do with it. But I actually modeled some of it off of the team in Guelph where these men have an identity based on their their community. And our community yeah. Yeah. is Black men. And it's yep. an underserved uh, community. I don't know a lot of places where Black men get together and really work toward each other's success. And we've got hundreds of years of being pulled apart and competing against each other. And, and who's gonna be years. the one? Hundreds, systematic. Yes. you know it wasn't systematic right so who's going to get who's going to get master's favor that's right who's Who's going to get the favor who's
1: going to rise who's going to get the favor who's going to be the one who's not in the field working and who's going to get the favor
2: all of the privileges the women the who's going to get that right Yeah. yeah yeah and and it's been used like as an agent like okay you get it but the price is first of all, you have to turn your back on everybody else, cause you're the special one. You're the special one. So you turn your back on everybody else. As a matter of fact, what's going on over there in the field? You come over here and be our, mm-hmm. be our agent and you, you decode some of this so that we know what's going on. And I think it's been, you know, a lot of that. And so it's been really interesting being part of this, this whole experience, man. And like you say, continuing, continuing to discover myself, my blackness, yeah uh, who yeah. I am as a man uh, who, who I am as a man amongst other men amongst other black men uh, in, my in my community yeah yeah it is man it's, it is I got a question for you man I got a question for yeah, you yeah yeah so you're the type of man where you show up in an environment it doesn't matter white black green whatever you're the type of man where you show up in an environment. And men give you respect. The environment's enhanced by you. Um, you you bring value to other people in their lives, and especially in the community of men, when it's when it's showing up. Um, and I, I'll just speak for myself. There's a there's an air of masculinity that's empowered, not egotistical. There's a a standard that you bring to the environment that helps to raise the standard of every man that you're in the company of. And I know this wasn't always the way for you. <laughs> now, I didn't know you before then, but I've heard you talk about it. I've heard other men talk about it, but I, but this is how I experienced you. And I experienced you from day one. And it's how I experience you every day. I'm in your company, even just before we started recording here. So your personal journey, man, I, do you, do you know this about yourself? Is it conscious, uh, I'm, you get feedback from men, so I know there's some sort of awareness. Yeah. But do you know this? And how did you build this for yourself, so that you show up a leader amongst leaders?
1: Well, first of all, I, the way that you see me, I really appreciate you even saying what you said. It makes me feel good, and it blesses me, and it honors me. And so, thank you for that. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's something to say when who you think who you are who you believe that you're projecting or who you believe that you are, that other people will say the same thing about you. And sometimes that's not the case, but to be able to, to think that, hey, this is who I am based off the things that you're saying, cause that's who I believe I am. So I believe myself to be till so you said it is a blessing. But um, I think it started when I was eight years old, you know, and, and, and I grew up in the inner city Flint, Michigan, you know, the city with the water crisis. No one actually talks about Flint today, but it's still going through a lot of crisis. And I have a lot of family there, though I live in Canada. And uh, I, can, I can remember growing up in, in a home with two parents who were at the time addicted to drugs and it was a part of everyday life. Like I can remember growing up seeing my mom high, seeing my dad high. And I never seen them actually do the drugs but I you know I could remember them you know being in space somewhere. But um, I had a, my grandmother, my dad's grandmother, I mean my dad's mother who was, who I loved dearly, you know she's passed on now, but uh, was a tremendous inspiration in my life in a sense that my grandmother, who if she was alive today, would be in her 80s, her early 80s, no, no, mid 80s. Um, in her time, one of 10 children, the 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 second to last child was put through university by her older siblings she got a she got a degree she got a degree in business mm. and you remember way back then right Whew. yeah you know in 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 the fifties and she got it and she got her masters in education uh, from the University of Michigan and so. She was a, so when my dad was growing up, he actually grew up in an affluent black family in Flint, Michigan, and they lived Mm -hmm. in an affluent area as well. So my grandmother had this thought, this thought, this context of, hey, I'm gonna produce successful, you know, children. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my my dad was kind of the black sheep of the family, but I had two uncles who were lawyers, who became lawyers, you know, underneath her, you know, her motherhood, her tutelage, so Mm -hmm. to speak, ended up going to university. So anyway long story short the the values of education and the value yeah, the values of education and that i could be somebody was instilled in me by her growing up mm-hmm. i can recall at eight years old saying to myself that one day i was going to be a businessman and my daughter would say to me it's like i had a vision or a dream that my daughter would say hey my dad is a businessman. I could see myself carrying a briefcase at eight years old. And uh, now I wasn't very close to my uncles growing up, like my dad's brother. Again, my dad was a black sheep of the family. And you know, him, him, the the relationship between my grandmother and him were very strange. and strange too. And uh, so I didn't grow up around my uncle, so I didn't see. Them in in their prowess. I didn't see them in their greatness. I, I just heard of them, and that for me was enough, right? Even though they were at even though they were at arm's length, it was enough for me because my grandmother at times we would have family you know, uh, uh, family uh, outings or things like that, and my grandmother would take me, and every once in a while I would see them, or she would you know she was she was a Delta you know she was a part of a sorority, so I, I had some exposure to some of these different things, so that that influenced me to believe and who I could become. And so going to university, growing up and getting a degree or was never, it was never like, it, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and that. so, but but even from there, there was a lot that I needed to learn about being a man and, and about manhood because a lot of the influences that I had around me, positive influences were women. It, mm. it, there weren't men. And so, and, and, and I learned to not trust men as a result of that because men yes, will come man. in my life, whether it was a coach, whether it was my father, whoever they will make promises and they would never keep them. So I learned to not trust uh, men, but I did trust women, but there was something else about me. The things that I picked up from men was the sexuality of, you know, was sexuality and how to be a man in front of women or how to, you know, to pursue women or get women and do whatever I wanted to do. So, men, so you can see that it's kind of a bit of a confusion because, I, you know, I'm searching right. for identity <laughs> as I'm growing. Yep. And, uh, and so, and, 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 and what happened to me, man, is, I, you know, doing this work, reading books, uh, creating a different soci- associations with people like yourself and through reading books, I came to the conclusion that I felt like the call on my life and I still feel like the call in my life is to lead leaders. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's something that John Maxwell says. I'm not. You probably know who he is. One of the foremost leaders in the world, probably the foremost leader in the world on the topic of leadership. He talks about the type of person you need to be in order to lead leaders. And one of the things he says is you need to be, you know, you gotta you gotta do a great job of leading yourself first. Because like, if you want to be a great leader first, the first thing you need to master is leading yourself well first. And then he starts to go on and talk about how other leaders respect leaders who have great success and things like that. So what I'm trying to do at this moment in my life and will continue to try to do by the grace of God is live into what I believe is a great leader that leads leaders. And the reason why that's important to me is because I feel like that's akin to my identity, like my calling, is to lead men, is to lead women who are leaders, and there's a certain way I have to show up to do that. There's a certain way, you know, uh, uh, yeah, a certain way that I have to show up. There's a certain way that people need to look at me, and the question I have to ask myself is, um, who I'm portraying myself to be? Is that who I really am, or am I, mm-hmm. am I or am I being fake? Yeah, and so. Um, the reason why I said it is because I, I I always, for me, I, I'm always looking in the mirror to say, "Hey, who you say you are? are you that, really that? Are you really that guy? Mm. Or Are you kind of making this thing up? You know." Yeah. So, I know that this is who I am because there's a burning desire deep inside my soul to make the world better, and mm. and the way that I see to make the world better is to lead those people who have control in the world, who have influence in the world, who have influence over people. And so that's 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 part of me just using this work to try to practice and to try to become better and to hold myself to a high standard. Because when you're because one thing that John says in his books, he repeats it over and over in his books, is he says that uh, no matter whether it's a Boy Scouts, club no matter it's a church no matter what's a company said every organization rises and falls on leadership every one of them yeah yep. every, every one more. of them rises, family or falls <laughs> on Leadership, even the yeah. family and that's family. that's important you know how important that is to me right even the yeah. family rises and falls on on leadership and mm-hmm. i want to be you know when i leave this earth i want i want to be able to you know in eternity i want to be able to look back on my time in the earth and be able to share conversation with people that I was in this generation with and we could talk about you know when it's my turn to talk about me we could talk about the impact you know that that I had on people's lives and how it helped change their lives and then the, the domino effect from there so it's part of my identity Anderson and no I wasn't always that way but as I continue to grow and become across men like you and, uh, and look at society, being a married man with three children and saying, hey, man, look, if I want to make a difference, a real difference, a notable difference, a worthy difference in the world, well, this is how I have to be. And so my yeah. identity is continuing to to flesh, I mean, continuing to grow and, um, and it's continuing to expand. So it's great to just see, like I said before, um, that that what I'm working on, who I'm working on to continue to become or become more of is actually showing up in the work that we do
2: yeah yeah I appreciate that brother I appreciate you and how you show up and enhances my life I got the I got the John Maxwell leadership Bible so did you oh man oh yeah thank you put me on to that it, Bible, okay. yeah. I, man, it, it I guess man it I already am it. and It's was reading last night I was actually reading my wife last night and it talked about leadership cool, and man. how as especially as Christians we've confused uh, uh, meekness and weakness. Weakness, yeah. You know, so we, we recognize yeah. our weaknesses so we can grow, but it's turned into this this meekness, like we're supposed to be sheepish, which is totally false. We're supposed to be leaders, leaders in our own leaders, life and, right. and, and leaders, you know, from the world and other, other people's lives. So that's something I can totally relate with. And um, it's, it's interesting because especially as black men, I think, and I'm going through this in my personal life, were to be accepted, to be allowed in this area, you know, because of yeah. the threat of black men, the threat My of that there's some some sort of threat that goes on. There's no threat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's crazy. There's no threat
1: from us at all. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like I'm this is
2: just... it's like this expectation that uh somehow be meek. Want you to be meek because if you yeah. if you show up as your as your full self Loud, proud, bold—you know. Then somehow there's a there's a threat there, that that I'm perceiving as a threat there. The way that the treatment is, that you can see people kind of almost yeah. like, ooh, you know, this is too much. Yeah, that's, that's but it's too much. Right. This is something I'm getting with the Black Diamond Circle, with this amazing men, you know, group of men, black men who, who come together, and it. The thing that I, I got some surprises, man. I was surprised by every man. Every man in a team wanting the commitment they have to make impact in their community. Because I don't get that in other circles. In other circles, you find quite a few men who are just focused on their own personal life and they don't really, they're not really looking at higher power. They're just trying to survive life, man, and get through and and deal with their stuff. But every man in this team is is underpinned by this higher power and, and making impact, not just talk. Doing things, we have men yeah, who are feeding, amazing. you know, hundreds of of people. You know, people. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy, no, right? Yeah, running, yeah. you know, events guess, for you yeah. know. The imp- so it, that really, it's it's a. It, I'm gonna say use the word surprise. It, it inspired and impressed me, but I was surprised by it, and it lets me look at my biases, my in, my implicit mm-hmm. internal biases. And this is some of the work I've been doing, leadership work I've been doing. What you're talking yeah, about, the, yeah. the gap between implicit my implicit biases, who I am subconsciously, and my explicit biases, who I am consciously, who, how I portray myself, how I think about myself, how I have built myself, and the gap when I don't show up yeah, the way yes, that I think yes. I'm. You know, it's, no, it's, it's powerful, powerful, bro. <laughs> it's, it's, powerful. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But this uh, this whole thing of leadership, man, and um, you know, leading leaders, being and first starting with yourself leading yourself. I feel like that's the journey man. we're on with the black diamond
1: oh, it's circle. It's to to do. Yeah. yeah that seems it's to difficult be the to do, man. It's difficult to do to, you know, the first thing, and leading yourself. You know, it's it's not easy to do. It's, it's sometimes I find myself in positions, you know, coaching or mentoring people in ways is like, man, dude, like that it, it's it's almost like I'm a better coach than I am a player sometimes. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, And it's like, it, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, dude, man, man, dude, you, man, you might be a better coach coach than you are a player, but it's like, I can't allow myself to be that way. That's right. always practice, you know, being a good, being a good player too. But going back to the, the Black Diamond Circle about the, about what you talk about surprise or you use the word surprise, use the word impress. And, uh, you know, what's coming up in my mind is like, I wonder like the men that we have, like we've been taught or socialized to think that black men, that when black men come together, it's gonna be a problem, you know. So yeah, you know, okay. if, you know, yep. riots, yeah, looting, I, yep, yep, uh, violence, yep. gangs. It's gonna be whatever, a problem, yeah. gang, Like it's gonna be a problem. So we, so yeah. we've been conditioned to think that through movies, mm. through, through, uh, through reality shows, through, through news, uh, you know, the media, yep. everything. Like we've been conditioned to do that. Okay. So that's one thing, and then the other thing is, um, we've been, uh, and so that creates a, the other thing is like it creates a fear, just for me and you mm-hmm. to get together. Like, wait a minute, what is this black man up to? Right? <laughs> or he can't, he can't, yeah, <laughs> he can't be, yeah. he can't be about, he can't be doing that much in his life. And then if he is doing something in his life, that he's a sellout. D- mm, you know what I mean? Yep, so it's yep, like all these yep. different, all these different things that yep. we've been talking about. It's the intern biases. That, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> then yeah. We, then yeah. we get a part of this group, and it's like it's the complete opposite. It's young men, not not these men. I think the median age between all of us is probably like thirty years old, maybe right, or oh, forty man. years old, right? Um, these are young men, you know, who are who are going out in their community you know, make it, make, you know, impact in their community. And then, you know, where wherever their places of work, wherever they work, making a difference in where they work. And then that they, in their spirit, man, just, you know, it, you know, the other thing is as well, we talk about all oh, black people don't want to help each other. You know, they, they tear each other down mm. black men. I'm like, man, this mm. is not my experience with these black men. Right. And, right. and I say all that to say, because that's how I thought. And then I asked right. myself, what the hell did you get those thoughts from? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? About your own black people, why do I believe that is there is, is there some truth to that you know or did or or was it made up to make you think to, to to create further division amongst amongst you and I feel like both that both of those ideas can be true, man, but um I'm at a place where now you know having had this experience or continuing to have this experience, it's like, dude man we could do so much more together. That's right. if, we, if we allow ourselves to be who we really are That's like right. you know you know why do these men give back the way that they are because there's something to us that know that when we when we when we lay hold when I, and I use that word intentionally when we lay hold to our blackness and we lay hold to who we are we lay hold to our history we don't reject it we appreciate it we lay yeah. hold to you know the experiences that our forefathers, and our immediate forefathers mm. are going through, how can you not give back to your own people? Yeah, that's real, that's real. How can you not that's real. seek yeah. to become your, how, how can you not? Because mm. you know how difficult it is growing up, like I grew up in the inner city or in the South, like you grew up, and you yeah. know how difficult it is to be able to, you know, to get the right textbooks, to get the, uh, you know, I mean, when
2: I say the right Yo, textbooks, man. I mean like, <laughs> to get enough yeah, we had to share textbooks, for, man. You know, <laughs> In like, school, no, was one seriously. one between two or three. <laughs> wasn't yeah, enough no, textbooks no, for every student, you know.
1: Exactly right. Like you know Crazy. what it's like to have to work very diligently to get the scraps and mm-hmm. to get the scraps, right? And then it's oh, like, textbooks man, and, and from you the look other back, you say, yeah. "Yeah, right." Yeah. You look back, you're like, "Man, my brother's struggling. You know, he was going through the same thing," or you know or my Mm. sister or my brethren so to speak you know i don't want i don't if i got something here in this earth that's good and i can give it to you know someone else period but you know a a black brother or black sister to help the man to help you know expand their journey and their experience of life i want to do that that's why it's so important to me to keep my blackness because when i go amongst my own group i don't want them to look at me and be like so you know, I don't want to use the word, but you know, look yeah. at me, you know this yeah. this guy, this ty- this Uncle yeah. Tom over here, he talking yeah. all this stuff. This yeah. dude ain't about the community. Yeah. He he ain't real, you know what I'm saying? But you know, and that's yeah. what we need, man. So, man, listen. When I want to, I want to. Let me see what time it is, really quick. It's 8:33. Um, but what I, man. I, yeah, what I want to do, what I, question I have you, man? I have for yeah. you because yeah. I feel like people need to notice about you because we don't have a lot of this. These type of men, or even women, um, you know, a, a, across the world, at least in, in North America, to, in, in a sport that you dominated, right? So you are a a, a gold medalist volleyball champion or Olympic champion,
2: right? Coach, which is freaking yes. <laughs> incredible. And,
1: and coach, yeah, and yeah. coach, sorry, coach. Your champion, coach, a big gold medalist, and coach, uh, yeah. yeah. That the fact that you're a gold medalist, right? A coach who's a gold medalist who's black and you did it in volleyball is freaking astounding, right? And so, I want, I you know, I know people are going to be watching this podcast or listening to this podcast. Could you tell them, man, like what, what changed, what clicked in your mind? want to even get you into volleyball. And then the second thing, like what clicked in your mind, because I think you made a couple of Olympic appearances. What clicked in your mind to get you across that bridge to say, hey, you know what, we can become great. We can do this. Matter of fact, not even we, because it was a team, but I can do it as a black man. Yeah, like what, what yeah. got you there, man?
2: Man, similar, similar journey. You know, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. My dad was killed when I was nine and I had, a, I had amazing mentors, men, uh, black men, some of them white men, had amazing mentors. But the black women in my life, my mother, how she picked it up, the leadership in our family, who, who she was as a person was, in, was just incredible. I didn't know much about my mother, man. She's pretty secretive about it. I found out mm-hmm. you know, she passed away about three years ago. And, I found out she moved to New York when she was 16 years old. You know, so this is in the like 1952. What's a 16 yeah. year old black woman
1: I'm doing in New York?
2: Black girl, <laughs> you know, in 52. Yeah, what's she 19, doing to survive? 15. And man, I can't even imagine what my mother's life was like and what she had to. Her father was was killed, and I and I didn't wow. even know who her father was because I knew another man I, who is my grandfather, but he was dead by the time I was born too. So. There was this this void of of men, especially black men, in my life for a long time, yeah. and I had mentors, uh, but I had this this. It helped me and it hurt me. I had this void of the the black man, who I identified as my father, because he was dead yeah. you know, when I was was nine, and so I had this this void to fill. So I had to do something. In my mind at that time, it was coming from scarcity. I had to do something to be respected, to belong, to, to be valued. And so it pushed me into excellence. It pushed me into achievement. Um, and at the same time, I had this story that you don't know how to be a man. Your dad wasn't here to teach you. So as I would push for success, I would sabotage it because mm-hmm. you know you can achieve things, I can achieve things, but maintaining it comes is an internal thing.
1: Yes, that's good. That's that we could we could we could talk about that all day. But continue.
2: That was yeah. man. That was it. Took me to wow. twenty-seven. I had a, a friend named Sudup who was a Sikh who did some breathing with me and, and released this memory, and and I had to deal with this at twenty-seven. Up until then, there was this yo-yo back and forth, and mm-hmm. I moved to LA. I had two female cousins get me into. To volleyball that's how i got into volleyball i thought it was a girls sport nah. i grew up in kentucky man volleyball is a girl sport I ain't playing no volleyball basketball football baseball volleyball <laughs> that's it that's about it being <laughs> so this girl sport i was 14 and uh so i go to the park so that we're playing on a concrete court in chickasaw park in uh, at the west end of kentucky and in the neighborhood the neighborhood the neighborhood was like a you know, we didn't know we were real poor. We didn't know that. We weren't really crazy poor. We, but everybody was in the same sort of situation. Everybody's in the same where,
1: situation, so you really don't know. just <laughs> what it
2: was, you know? You live and make, yeah. make it life. And, yeah. uh, but like, you know, today, you know, Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky, Louisville, Rihanna Taylor. I mean, that just gives you the mentality mm-hmm. of Kentucky. It's a true Southern state. Grew up mm-hmm. with that whole racism. Ku Klux Klan marched. When I was growing up, Ku Klux Klan marched every Martin Luther King's birthday on Dixie highway, full dress, you know, it was just just this environment. So there was all these confusing messages as a black man in America, as a a young black youth, black youth, male, the the model for success for me that was promoted growing up was Caucasian male. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking at my skin going, well, how am I gonna fit into that? That's not gonna work. And then there's this identity crisis, and I think most black people, black men especially in America, are are faced with this identity crisis. I think young mm-hmm. people have broken through this. You see young men, Jay Z with Dreads running corporations. You know, uh, music music did a lot of it. Acting,
1: yeah, music, music helped tremendously. Wow, tremendously. Entertainment helped, tremendously. Entertainment,
2: period. Tremendously. helped tremendously, tremendously for black people. Yeah. Tremendously. I saw saw an interview with Warren Buffett and Jay-Z and, and the the respect that Warren Buffett showed Jay-Z as a businessman. And that impressed me. I was like, OK, this, you know, black men in particular have arrived yeah. in business. Now, here's what I think is missing. And this is where I think uh, the, the, where we can get some real value. And this is this is where I'm coming to now. Because Either I'm sixty, that. well, six. I said I'm sixty. I'm fifty-six years old. I'll be fifty-seven this year, and so I'm old. I'm an old head. I got a lot of this, this implicit internal biases that just mm-hmm. live in me. I don't even I don't even know where to find them. I just see them show up every now and then, like mm-hmm. with the black diamond circle. Thinking somehow, you know, instead of me thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a group of, you know, men with initiative who. I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, we can help these men, you know, like it was a charity case, and so what's wrong with me? <laughs> what's wrong with me? Yeah. Man, this just lives deep in there somewhere. Lives deep somewhere. somewhere, man. Right. Yeah. And it also talks about who I am as a man. There you are. And who, I, yeah. who I am as a black man, and all these, all these implicit biases, my epigenetics, all this stuff that determines how I show up in the world. And and that's the constant battle for me is overcoming all these things that don't support me as a man, as a Black man, as a human being, that just don't support me and my success and contributing my gifts into the world. And like you, from a young age, I always had this, this desire and this knowing that I was gonna contribute something. I'm here to contribute. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do I contribute?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and,
2: and part of that's leadership. How do I help people? For me, leadership is drawing out people's performance. How do I help mm-hmm. serve so that you can be your best. That's the way that I lead. And so volleyball, man, was just, just volleyball in itself is a long journey. It's a long journey, but beach volleyball is my sport. Been to five Olympics, you know, a bronze medal in 96, a gold medal in 2000. We got a fourth that in 2004, <laughs> an injured player. But, and what I had to do personally to get over my own self mm-hmm. because. I've got a picture of the, of the Canadian team. I came to Canada to be the head coach for the Canadian team. And I ran into mm-hmm. my own issues there. I'm, I'm, gonna write, I'm writing a book I a book about that whole experience because it's a trip. But I've got the team picture. I'm the only Black man in the picture. I'm the only Black person mm-hmm. in the picture that you can recognize. There's two Black women in the picture who are mixed race. And, and they're, like, they're, they're Black women. Like, they're, they're real. Like, they're real Black women. But there's a thing, and I think there's a thing that happens with women that you don't get with men. I don't see the same threat. I don't see white people, white men being threatened by black women, but there's definitely some threat from black men that I'm not white, so I don't know why. I can only guess Mm -hmm. at it, but there's something going on there and I'm guessing that it's historic. It's
1: I think something historic. I think I think it's the hey, I done kicked you down and beat you up so long. Uh you probably want to retaliate. And I wanna and I want I wanna, you know, prevent oh, you from retaliating. I, I I'm guessing I really don't know. But yeah. I'm like if I was in your shoes and I done kicked somebody, I done beat them down, I done held them down, I done, you know, you know, took their women and pillaged them and all these different things, I've heaped yeah. abuse on you. At some point, there has to be retaliation. There has to be a mm-hmm. retribution. Like, And, and I'm not going to let you come upon me and get it from me. No, I'm saying that. that be that's true deep. That's deep. That's real. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But it's something that's like Man. justice has to be served in their mm-hmm. mind. And we're like, dude, we're not like, listen, all we want to do, do as Black people do is have to, no, we're not at all. It's like, we yeah. just want to live. Yeah and be respected and enjoy our life. But let me stop. You continue because it's your show. You know show.
2: what? I have a white friend. I consider him to be a brother. He lives in, uh, here in Canada as well. Told me exactly that same thing. Called me up, mm. hey man, I'm a racist. You know, what? I'm a racist. And told me the exact same thing. Walking down the street in his hometown, sees a group of black men, must have been like four of them, Yeah. and, and, and got afraid. Which this man, for this man to say that, is unusual to me because he's been in in dangerous places with lots of people of color. Like inviting And he's your friend. And he's he's my friend. friend. And here's that whole thing with white fragility, white guilt, that that white people don't talk about. I would love for white Mm -hmm. people, because here's the thing, it's not up to black people to to cure white supremacy. That's right, my wife says it all the time. It's not a black problem white supremacy is not a black problem. <laughs> it's a white problem. White people gotta yeah. get together and figure out how to get over the damage that's done to them through this concept of supremacy.
1: Thank you for saying that because the damage is done to them. Like mm-hmm. think about what messages were sent to him growing up as a child yeah. to make him believe that seeing a group of yeah. black men together, there's something bad about that. Yeah. he That it's was crazy. communicated to him
2: somehow, right? Yeah. Anyway, and bombarded yeah. through media and everything. Now here's media. how he caught himself, media, yep. everything, right? Family, everything, you know. So here's here's how he caught himself. He, he 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 hurt himself, and he's because he's a conscious person and he's actually in this work. He He hurt himself, and what he what does he do? Instead of crossing the street and buying into that, because he had the same conversation you had to himself. Oh, mm. we've wreaked so much havoc on these people. <laughs> They must want retribution and I'm going to be that victim today. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the focus of all that. That was his conversation it with himself. The...
1: It's a fair thought. It's, it a, it's a fair thought. Like, it's it's a a fair real, thought. Thought. like I would do the same
2: thing. It's a fair thought, right? Yeah. So what's he do? He walks up and he tells them his inner thoughts. He was got balls to steal. <laughs> Man, he's been in favelas in Brazil, he's been in South Africa and shantytowns and stuff, right. invited, you know, so that's why he, that's why his implicit yeah. bias showing up like that surprised mm-hmm. him, he surprised himself. And he just mm-hmm. happened to be conscious enough to confront it. So he walks that's up and awful. he has a conversation. Wow. He's like, look, this is what's going on for me, I saw you, I, you know, and, and I thought this because, hey, if I were in your shoes, I don't want to be, now they're laughing and, you know, they're like, man, we didn't, you know, think about that, that's, that's your, <laughs> that's your thoughts. Yeah. And, and, you, and, and then he went on about his day, but he calls me up immediately and goes, wow, man, I'm a racist. I just caught myself. And who cannot be a racist? I, my, my belief is anybody who grows up in North America has to be racist, whether it's black, white, mm-hmm. Asian, Muslim, whatever it is. It's hard not mm-hmm. to be a racist, it's hard not to be sexist. If you're a man growing up in North America, we're bombarded with it. With this whole mm-hmm. concept of, of um, there's only one winner, the strongest survive. I mean, like historically, there's this whole thing about how someone has to be supreme and someone has to serve. And then there, below the serving, there has to be an oppressed because the people yeah. who are serving have to be better than somebody. Poor white people gotta be better than the black people, you know? So it's like, and, and race is just one version of supremacy, economic, gender, uh, yeah. sexual preference, age, you know, weight. Oh, there's so many things that education people use so many different ways to say I'm superior to I'm, you. I'm superior to you. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Most of our systems are based off of supremacy because Sup- in the time these systems were built, from all the way back to royal and land ownership, the rule of the land was supremacy. Everybody serves this ruling class. So it's no accident that our education, religion, um, financial, all these you know, class. It's no accident that all these systems are based off of you know their supremacist systems. Well, what else could yeah. they be? <laughs> At the time, supremacy was the was the rule of the land. So. Growing up in beach volleyball, beach volleyball is a, is a white affluent uh, sport. Who could play volleyball back in the day except for people who had the money and the time, and lived mm-hmm. had access to the beaches. And so, it didn't welcome me. I didn't get a friendly welcome into beach volleyball uh, initially. No, I bet you
1: didn't. Yeah,
2: yeah. But the second on the second go, I did, and it was really interesting. But what got me into it. We're, you know, again, black women, my my cousins, Janielle and Renee. Uh, my cousin Kevin was playing and he was a pro basketball player. He played professional in Europe and had a bunch of his pro six foot eleven, the Bunton brothers, seven foot, six foot eleven, playing volleyball on this concrete court, hitting the ball with their fists. And I'm like, this is not a girl sport. <laughs> he's, a, he's six foot eleven men hit this ball with their fists, is no joke. <laughs> you know, professional basketball player, mm-hmm. it was no joke. So it, so it fascinated me because uh, it was technical. And my athleticism mm-hmm. allowed me to do certain things, but because the sport was technical, if I mishandled the ball, my athleticism couldn't help me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like golf or tennis. It's because it's a rebound sport, not a catch-control sport. Your physical abilities only mm-hmm. take you so far. You have to be technical. And at the pro level, once you start getting competitive, it's strategic you can be physical and technical, but you have to pick the right plays at the right time against the right person.
0: And so it just challenged Sports me the in these yeah. ways.
2: Yeah, it mm. just challenged me in these ways that I hadn't been challenged before. Um, and and it, yeah, so it, it became my sport. I didn't imagine I could be you know, an Olympic coach, but because the, the examples of my cousin playing pro ball, what I had imagined of my father, who was a community leader, Leadership that my mother showed in our family, like you, I had these influences that said I can, mm-hmm. I can lead. Yeah. And the same time, we're in this neighborhood where you know the neighborhood is changed and shifted. It's always it was the West End, but it. And at one point, they had a sign up. And this I didn't even know this existed until I went back home. They had a sign up saying "Welcome to Little Africa," as you entered um, the West End of Louisville. They, I think they've taken the sign down, but. This is the mentality. I'm like, welcome to Little mm. Africa. What are you talking about? What in the mm. and um so it's it interesting because it's like, listen, I'm not, I'm
1: African American. I don't my, my culture was stripped for me. I don't even know what the hell it means to be African. It's That's crazy. not like it's saying, welcome to little Italy or Little Greece, where people come from Greece and they still have their culture, you know. It was crazy anyway. It's continue. it's interesting. I
2: you know, I grew up a southern <clears throat> man, and I have a lot of southern. Uh, I have a love for the South and the characteristics of the Southern gentleman. Uh, you know, growing up in America, you don't distinguish yeah, the fact that oh, yeah. Southern gentlemen weren't black men; they were white, men, <laughs> you know. But but the whole this idea of being the Southern gentleman, and um, so I so it lives deep inside of me, and I embraced it growing up. And I think that's part of the identity crisis. We embrace some of these principles that aren't really meant for us. Like when yes. there's the police is, you know, the police is there to serve yeah. and protect. Well, well, the police wasn't really there to serve and protect us. We were the ones they were protecting from. So from. that's these, exactly why they were created. Sort <laughs> these mixed messages and like, go catch the slaves, people, bring them back. People don't people don't know that.
1: though. Like, why were the police? They were created to protect the white people, right? To, to, to do the white people's bidding and protect them from yeah. what they thought was a perceived threat. Yeah,
2: <clears throat> oh, man. But but it's so. Oh, well. You know just to bring all this together man so it was it was the people that were in my life that were examples for me that they they opened the the access to i can be great i am great yeah Um, i have examples here you know my uncle my my aunt um yeah i have examples here of people who value themselves, show that they value mm-hmm. themselves and aspire to mm-hmm. something. And um, yeah, so that's, you know, and, and then I, I have a duty to to carry that forward. You know, I've been given blessings and a gift and it's my duty through my talents, my abilities, my opportunities to just keep creating that example, keep creating yes. that example. And here's what's crazy, man, that, and I struggle with this. I'm the only black man, period, African-American. Uh, indoors is a brilliant Brazilian man who I think won a gold medal indoor volleyball from Brazil. But as far as African-American from North America, I'm the only African-American who's ever coached an the Olympic volleyball team, period. And the only one to ever win a medal, I've got two gold and bronze in the history of the sport, period. Uh, Dame Blanton is a uh, Black man who actually won a gold medal in Sydney, Australia. When my team won the gold medal, Natalie Cook and Carrie Potter, when I coached my women to the gold medal. Dane Blanton, another black man, won the gold medal as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Dane I've known since he was about 16 and has a very similar, different life story, but very similar, you know, being in this sport, you know, carrying, it feels like a burden when you're isolated. Mm-hmm. And this is the part I really want to get to. What we're doing with the Black Diamond Circle, and I've got another organization, mm. the Black uh, Canadian Coaches Association, which was founded by a Black woman. Uh, and it's a national organization, which is reaching out. People are internationally are reaching out to, to become part associated with this organization that's reshaping sport, reshaping coaching. It's not just coaching, it's allyship, it's academics. It's, there's so many things that this organization touches. Yeah. And the thing that it's made me Present to which is the same the Black Diamond Circle. When we come together, and we name it, the name of the organization is Black Canadian Coaches Association. Not BIPOC. Not this proudly, unapologetically Black. And the way that uh, Leanna, Coach Leanna, who founded the organization, put it: there, there is a lack of spaces for Black people that you can identify. This is a Black space for black people, led by black people serving black people. You can find spaces and this is what happened to, happens to black people. We go be in these other spaces that aren't specifically for black people but it might be because, oh, we're a man and that's a men's organization or, you know we come from this place or that's a woman or so we'll go to these and then we'll look around and we'll be one of the few black people there. But in this space And with the Black Diamond Circle, what I'm finding is when you bring Black people together, you get a unique uh, view and a unique expression of talent Mm. and expertise. And this Mm -hmm. is what's interesting. You take these same individuals and you put them in their, their, their environment where they're one of few, if not the only, and you'll get talent, you'll get their talent, you'll get their expertise. But you put them in the influence of other people of color and something gets unleashed. Something gets happens. gets unleashed. It absolutely unleashed. does, man. It, it was smart fun. to That's... keep black people apart. It was smart to keep black man. people apart. Because <laughs> when you put them together, look at hip hop, look at something that was like it's rap. Water. I used to have a record label. Rap, man. so rap means there's no uh-uh. such thing as rap. There's no such thing as rap. Rap was an industry term that was made up to to capitalize off of, off of hip off the music, the culture, and the music. It was, a, it was right, an industry yeah. term, and it was also turned in a way where it's it keeps perpetuating all these stereotypes about black people, you know, and, yep. and violence and all this sort of stuff. Even though it was turned into this poisonous thing, young black people have recaptured it and. Keep turning it into this powerful thing that is undeniable, undeniable to the point to where white, uh, uh business, white North American business has recognized it and cannot deny it. It's like we got to do business with you,
1: and have to use them as brands, and have to have to take they have to. what they do and, and and make money off of it because they have to.
2: Right. It tried to be segmented and isolated <laughs> to this little to the to black people and people of color and you know rap and Man. gangster rap. It tried to be segmented but it's it's prevalent in society. It influences society so much. <laughs> so much
1: it, so that you see Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg doing a freaking commercial oh, together. It's crazy. You would man. never see, like 10, 10, 10, 15 years ago, you're not seeing Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg in the same setting together. That's
2: right. <laughs> so, That's right.
1: It's, it's doing business together. Man. Doing business. Doing business together. Yeah, doing business. it's amazing, man.
2: Some of that mask is coming off. The mask is coming, the mask of North America is coming off. Because, you know, people don't want to admit it, but North America, it was built on the back of slaves and you know, uh yeah. whether all, it, all, and, you know, a lot poor people, whether they were white, Chinese, Irish, whatever. It was it was built off the back of immigrants, slaves and immigrants. And for the for the for the benefit of a few. Now, now uh, America in particular is coming to terms with that. And you get, you know, like these men in Guelph, you get these, these men who realize, are people who realize um, this is our history. And it needs to be celebrated too. If you got Confederate people in your family and all that kind of stuff, celebrate it. That's who these people were. It's who they are. And I'm not saying celebrated like this was a great thing, but
0: right. this
2: is history. Every, everybody's got skeletons in their closet like there were black people involved in the slave trade. You know? Of course was, there were, yeah. How do you think, how do you
1: black think? People, I mean, there were black yeah. people involved in it, you know? Uh, yeah, we all I, got yeah, that. I with, with, yeah, and, and, I agree with, And I agree with the so celebrate here, part, man, yeah.
2: You embrace it, there's, you have to embrace it. And this is the way I embrace it, being a, a black man born in, and raised in North America. My history, my history, including my great grandfather, who was white, who I didn't even know, we don't know anybody in their family who, whether consensual or not, had a child with my great grandmother who was black. You know, whether it was consensual or not, that's that's part of me. And I can either use it to hate myself being part slave and part slave owner, because that's what most people, most black people in North America are part slave and slave owner. And slave owner, we're both. And Probably. you can
1: look at the color of my skin and tell us it's, it's really removed. Like my grandmother, my biological grandmother is black and white. <clears throat> you no, know, she's yeah. mixed race. You know, it's interesting.
2: Yeah, huh? and we have to embrace that. And I'm not saying uh, embrace it in the way like I'm black, but that's part of my history. In spite of whatever atrocities uh, yeah. that have happened to me in the past, today I rise. Yeah. And that's and the Maia that's Angela. the strength. It's my Angelo. Yeah. This yeah, is the I power. Rise. This is I rise, and that's that's the beauty. And that's the and you know what? I'm I'm glad to see white people rising right now. There's some white people who, in spite of realizing they're privileged, in spite of realizing, this was ill begotten well, Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you for bringing up. Because you're right. My privilege was was obtained in this way. It's, instead of hiding from it through this white fragility and white guilt, they rise
1: yeah like I, I wouldn't hide from it because it was there they were born into it and how can you born into it guilt? how can you be guilty of being born into something if you're guilty of anything then it's you perpetuating what your ancestors did that's where sort of the guilt right. comes from that's right right but if you're born into something man you don't you did not have a choice
2: that's right
1: you know it is society you do with what you have yeah
2: that's what it is, man. Finish that, please. Yeah. That's the no, truth say, but, right there. What, what you do with what it. You,
1: <laughs> what you do with what you have, that's where you're, you're responsible. That's right. And that's where you're held responsible. And you should yeah. feel guilt. And you should feel shame if you're not doing the correct thing with your privilege. And that's, that's right. for any of us. That's for any, that's of, for any, us any of us who have privilege, right? For any, if we're not using it. Us. If we're not being responsible with our privilege, then we should feel guilt and shame because you know you're using it for yourself only you know? that's right and it's a and it's a privilege
2: it's a privilege and the privilege is the privilege is not yours alone exactly the privilege is a platform st- it's a privilege is a platform and what you what you how you live your life what you create from that platform that's that's what tells the truth you right. get a platform What's your message? What are you, what are you gonna contribute? Is it just for yourself? I'm on this platform, look at me, or I'm on this platform and I'm gonna leave this place better than I found it.
1: I found it, wow, that's powerful, bro. Yeah. Uh, this has been a great experience, man. And I'm uh, hoping whoever gets the opportunity to listen to this, man, that they're well blessed by it, whomever it is, so.
2: Right. It's been brother, a blessing for me today, you. brother. It's great chat with you, man. Yeah, All right, you too, man. today, bro.
0: Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Circle Up podcast. I hope you found this conversation with Mr. Anderson and Mr. Dotson just as inspiring as I did. If you like the show, if you're inspired by the show, if you feel like there is a man in your life who could benefit from this conversation, white or black, any age, any demographic, uh, any psychographic, please share it with them. Um, For myself personally, Listening to the conversation, not only did I take away a lot about leadership, but I also took a lot away about understanding that I don't need to have any guilt for history or ancestors, but instead I can root myself into the present moment and ask myself, what is it that I can do to be able to come together and remember the interconnectedness of everybody and everything. And instead of creating division, create community. Instead of creating separation, create connection. And I really hope that we were able to do that with this podcast, so if you have someone in your life who you feel like would be inspired by this conversation, would be inspired by the role model of two strong, uh, positive, empowering black men, then please share it with them. And last but not least, to you Anderson, to you Dotson, Thanks for being my brothers. I'm inspired by you too. Um, both of you make me wanna show up as a stronger man for myself and for, for the men around me uh, and for the, my community uh, in general and especially for everybody here that listens to the Circle Up podcast. So thank you for that. And uh, thank you for always holding me to a higher standard and calling out my bullshit. Looking forward to many, many, many more years of your leadership and many more years of our friendship.